Just a quick editor's note, there's some mild swearing in the episode. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the one-on-one with Juan and Only Sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Juan. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Flatball Collective. Want to show your love for Ultimate and Disc Golf? You gotta check out Flatball Collective, an everyday apparel brand inspired by our favorite sports of Ultimate and Disc Golf. It's designed by players from around the world who also happen to be talented artists, and each item represents a unique perspective of the sport. I personally love my Disc is Life sweater because it's super comfortable, and I get to wrap my favorite sport off of the field as well. Tees, hoodies, toques, towels, mugs, and more. Pick up your favorite item today online at Flatball Collective on Instagram or flatballcollective.com. Use code one and only 15 to get 15% off your order. That's code one and only 15 to get 15% off your order. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Liam Grant. Liam is an Irish Ultimate player, host of the Ulti World Eurozone podcast, a tournament director, and commentator who is best known for coining the phrase buttery biscuit. As an Ultimate player, Liam was a captain of the Irish mixed team at the 2016 World Ultimate and Guts Championships, and he won a silver medal with the Irish mixed team at the European Championships of Beach Ultimate in 2013. He has won three Irish national titles in the men's division with his club team, Pelt. As a tournament director, Liam has overseen many tournaments, including the Galway Open, the Irish Ultimate College Championships, and the Irish Indoor National Championships. He helped lead the Siege of Limerick, Ireland's biggest ultimate event for five years, from 2013 to 2018. Liam has commentated at various world events, including the 2015 and 2019 Under-24 World Championships, the 2015 and 2019 European Ultimate Championships, as well as the World Ultimate Club Championships in 2018. Liam currently resides in the small town of Lahinch on the coast of County Clare in Ireland. Here is my interview with Liam Grant. So I'm here with Liam Grant. You may know him as the founder of the great statement, Buttery Biscuit, on your Ultimate Frisbee broadcast. There were some commentary highlights of him posted on Ulti World. He also runs the Eurozone podcast. And if you play in Europe and you've played in a tournament called the Siege of Limerick, he ran that tournament, which is pretty cool. So I have Liam here today. We're also uh, streaming here on Twitch, it sounds like. So shout out to those watching. So Liam, how are you doing all the way from Ireland? I'm having a great time. It is St. Patrick's Day, which is the national holiday of Ireland. I think as an Irishman, I'm obliged to get mildly drunk. Mildly being an understatement, so I didn't realize this when we organized this conversation, but I think it's apt. I think it's good. You know, 
sort of a happy, fun podcast in this current situation. So yeah, I'm having a I'm having a great time and delighted to be on the podcast. Yeah, appreciate that, Liam. And so we're gonna get started right away with how you even started knowing about the sport or playing ultimate in Ireland there. Uh who told you about the sport or like what's your coming to sports story? Yeah, I feel like every ultimate player should have one of these. So growing up, I did, I did a lot of surfing and I wasn't really interested in other sports. But I went to college in Galway and it's called the National University of Ireland, Galway. And uh, I was there and it's, it's about two hours drive from good waves or surfing. So I knew I couldn't really surf all the time. So I was kind of looking for a sport to uh, occupy kind of Monday to Thursday, which was my college schedule. And there was like a kind of a clubs day situation. And I, I, I live on a beach. I live like 100 meters from beach. Always have. Very much an ocean person. But uh, yeah, I went to the clubs day and it was like a frisbee stall. Or like ultimate frisbee. I didn't know what it was. I didn't realize it was a sport. But a couple of times my friends were like throwing a frisbee on the beach. And that's that's what I thought it was. I thought it was like people throwing over and back. And I was like frisbee sock. Because like these guys are probably pretty funny. They're probably like, you know, having the crack. Like. Having the crack means having fun in Ireland, just to, to clarify the jolly time. That's a better way. Like just people not taking life too seriously. That's that's what I that's what I thought it was. And they're like, hey, do you want to join? Like Frisbees decided. They said Frisbee, even though it was like ultimate, but that's what they had the sign on the stand was. And I was like, Yeah, this seems like a fun activity for me to do like the past time during the week when I can't surf. And I went to, like the first tryout and it was like they tossed a throw, but they're like, okay, now we're playing ultimate. I was like, what is going on? I was wearing like, I think I was wearing like corduroy jeans and like skater shoes. Like, and it was in a grass. It was not, I did not have cleats. I didn't realize, I have, I own, I play other, I played Gaelic football growing up. It was just like this native Irish sport, which requires cleats. So I have them, but I just didn't realize they were necessary. So the first game, I was like, I was running around like brown corduroy jeans and like skater shoes and like slipping on mud. And I was like, like, I, I kind of thought it was interesting, but I didn't really grasp the sport. And I kind of also joined, like, volleyball at the time. And I think I actually kind of, the first year in college, I picked volleyball of the two. I think I kind of, like, not that I was particularly good at volleyball, but I just decided to go with that. Like, I remember volleyball went indoors in winter, and I was like, uh, I don't like being indoors. And I went to the Frisbee, and I, I started training them and kind of grasped the sport. But we had, like, average eight people at training. Like I had never, like the first year of college, I'd never, for a team. So we played, we played hot box for my first two months. All I ever played was hot box, which was like, we usually played three on three and it was like one end zone. I like, I don't know if you know the like mini game, but like I played that mostly. And then they were going to tournaments. They're like, Liam, please come. And every weekend I went surfing. I was like, not interested. I was like, I don't, this is just like a secondary sport for me. I don't, I don't really care about it. But then it was like what really got me into Ultimate was my housemate in college had, was having a big party in this place called Maynooth, which is where all the priests train in Ireland. It's known as the Priest College. But coincidentally, Irish Ultimate Nationals were on there. And the Ultimate Frisbee team found out that I was going to be in the same town and the same weekend. They're like, Liam, please come and play at Nationals. I was like, okay, but I didn't even stay with the team. I didn't even stay with the team. I was like, I'm not really interested. I was, I partied with my friend, turned up there like hungover. And then I, I fell in love with the sport then and there. I was a big surfer. I was wearing like board shorts, surfer shorts and like a terrible jersey. I 
could not throw a flick. I played Ultimate for six months and just decided I'm kind of ambidextrous. So I'm actually left-handed by throwing it. So I was just throwing backhands either side. Hey, that could work actually on a flick force, right? You could uh, you can get away with it if you establish your pivot properly. I'm left-handed, but I like, severely hurt my arm when I was a child. <laughs> that like, my I have two bad arms, really, really. That's what that's what it's like. But uh, I fell in love with the sport there. I kind of got the feeling for a tournament, which is what I really love. Actually, I think more than the sport itself, I love like a large gathering of people having a party, playing sport, a weekend getaway, where you're like. That whole experience, which doesn't exist anymore thanks to COVID, but like that classic ultimate tournament is what I really fell in love with, probably more so than the sport. Yeah, no, that sounds good. A good intro story there, Liam. And when did you feel like you kind of, uh, quote unquote, made it in terms of like getting your competitive opportunities and really knowing that you could make something of yourself in the sport, as noted in the bio, was that you like captain the national team, right? Yeah. So... At some point, you were getting at a level where you felt like you were competent at the sport and able to help lead others. When was that? And what was that like for you? Yeah, it was kind of a quick transition because so that first year that I described there, then afterwards, like a lot of people left up my Frisbee team. And like, I think in my second and third year, I was, I was captain of the college team. I kind of like learned quickly about the sport. I think two years of playing, I made like the Irish beach national team, which was a pretty rubbish team. But we played like the world championships in Linano, Salvadorio, 2011, WCBU, whatever it's called. If everyone's met me now, I'm 30 years old. When I was 19, I was I was on like the surf lifesaving like championship team of Ireland. I was a very athletic surfer beach person. I'm still a lifeguard now. Like I'm, I'm at that time, I was very very athletic. So I actually I'm I'm six foot three. I was. I was probably the best I was in the sport when I was 20 years old. You know what I mean? One year playing because I was athletic then, but then college and a lot of other stuff led me astray. So at that stage, just probably like excelled quite quickly. And like at that time, people in Irish thought I was good at Frisbee. Right now, people think I'm very bad at Frisbee and they wouldn't be wrong in thinking that. The perception has changed is what you're saying. I was very athletic then. That was, that was the main... It's easy to be athletic when you're 20, as I'm, as, as I'm sure you know. Like, if you're reasonably exercising, it's 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 easy to be that athletic. But, yeah, at that age, I kind of quickly excelled. And I kind of liked it. It was like an alternative reality for me, which I guess a lot of people like Frisbee is like their main reality. But for me, it actually... It, it really isn't. Like, surfing and the surfer world and, and that kind of stuff is kind of my main reality or existence so i actually find it so nice to have this escapism in the ultimate world and how nice people are and going to tournaments for a weekend i find it really maybe relaxing or nice to have something different in my life but yeah i think 2013 i was like i was like mixed beach team we came like second in europe and to be honest, that was when i was good at ultimate i'm not good now but then was what happened then I lost my love a little bit for it in terms of playing. I actually just preferred surfing a little bit. And then it was like, at the time, I was quite innocent of like how the community works. But I'm sure everyone, like, the community is really welcoming and lovely at tournaments. But sometimes, like, if you get involved in the, like, politics of it, it can be a little bit, like, judgmental and... Yeah, I I think I know what you're referring to. Well, probably... uh... Won't won't get too into it because it's a very divisive topic. But ultimate Twitter, ultimate Twitter and Reddit can be very very divisive, as you probably know. So uh, I don't have Twitter. 
Do not have Twitter. I've never had Twitter. I've never had Reddit. Yeah, I would I would suggest staying away from it on the Twitters cuz uh yeah, so I've I've never had any of that. I've never had it, never have Twitter, never have Reddit. I have Instagram. Generally don't post ultimate stuff pretty rarely. But uh yeah, no, I I don't find those two like circumstances. So like I found a little bit disheartening maybe around 2015, 2016 I felt like I've never had like a full on like, you know, cancelled moment. But I felt at times that like I was being judged a little too harshly that I felt a little, I felt a little bit out of the environment or like preferred surfing. I guess that was it. I also just took up commentary. I got injured in 2015 when I was on the Irish Open team and did commentary instead at the European Championships. And I was like, I kind of prefer this because if you're from, I don't know what it is in, in Canada, but if you're from a European country, you pretty much have to pay your own way. Yeah, it's like that here. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so, and especially, it tends to be like WFDF events or European championships are really expensive. It seems like ballooning expensive, which I'm trying to deal with. I was like, I can get paid to commentate. At least I can like be there and feel the vibes. Yeah, and be with your friends too. <laughs> yeah, and then like still like, if you go to Windmill or any of the other big European tournaments, it's all the, it's all the same people. It's all the same people there. Like any like... I can still go to those and they're far less expensive. And like that was, I guess, a big changing in my like elite ultimate career. For those on the podcast, I'm doing a little bunny ear quotation marks that like I didn't actually have an elite ultimate career, but it's easier to go to one of these events and then pay to go to a party tournament. And you know what? It's mostly the same people there. And so when you were on the 2016 uh, Irish team there, were you playing or were you hurt when you captained? I was playing, I played 2016 in London, WUGC. The mixed team, we were a good team. We had Mark Burton was on the team. He was technically an Irish citizen. Oh, Seattle Sockeye player. Is that what you're saying? Or I guess he's played on uh, mixtape as well. Yeah, he was born in Northern Ireland, which many people wouldn't have realized. His mother is Irish and he's born. So he's a legitimate holding passport citizen. We had another team with Kelly Highland, who is uh, a player from the East Coast. But we actually, Sarah Melvin, European Player of the Year. So we actually had a, a pretty good team. I made the team, basically the open and women's team, because very seriously had like a one-year trial like doing the team and then there's a lot of people who are like I have a job I can't take every weekend off like this is a lot of commitment so I made a team of like let's have like two or three training weekends and just like turn up and wreck shit and and did you wreck it or no in theory we did pretty well came ninth tied ninth we lost a pre-quarter to Columbia which is not bad we lost a pre-quarter to Columbia in like dubious situations spirit scores were low it wasn't a great game but um we, we put together a good team I played for that. I can't say I played very well. But I think I, I threw together an Irish team that, you know, that's the highest any Irish team's ever finished at a World Championship. So that's, could be too bad. My theory was that, like, uh, it's a big thing in Ireland and other European countries that, like, you should train for national team training camps. Like, France does this, like, two-year cycle where you're training nonstop for two years. It's like, that's great if you're a professional athlete. But if you're... Like me or other people, you have a job. It's like, you can't do that. Like, it's, I'd love. It's like, of course, that's a better way to succeed. Like, the more you train, the more you you work together as a team, you're going to better yourselves. But, like, there's a lot of good ultimate players that can't do that. They can't take off, like, two weekends every month or, or etc. So, that's what my kind of point was. 
You gave a good shout out there to uh, someone who I've had on the podcast. I'll I'll give a little quick uh, spiel for that. If you want to check out the episode with Sarah Melvin, you can do that in the podcast archive as well. And so along with all this uh, playing, you talked about getting into commentary. So as a fellow commentator who's commentated in his home country of Canada, you've commentated over there in Europe. So what got you into commentary? You said you got hurt. When you commentate your first game, what did you think? Because I remember after my first game commentating, I was just buzzing. I was just so excited. It was like a rush of uh, adrenaline there. Was that what you experienced when you commentated? I think it was. My first game was the U23 Ultimate Championships, as it was called at the time, in London. 2015, yeah. The opening game was my first commentary game, which was kind of a, a big a big enough game for your first game. Lots of people watch it, more than uh, what I commentated. <laughs> Yeah, no, a lot of people watched it. That's that's true. I'd written one or two articles for Sky Magazine at, at that time, and I saw they're doing one twenty threes, and I messaged them, being like, "Hey, I see this event. Can I commentate at it?" And like, I think the initial response was no. <laughs> there was Elliot Trotter at the time. I was like, "Please let me commentate," and he's like, "We don't have a budget for it." And I was like, "I'll pay my own way." So I pay my own flights. Uh, Actually, I actually convinced the TDs I got I got accommodation and, and food for free. That is true, which was actually a really good situation with the the tournament organizers. So thank them for that. But I did like just bully my way into doing it. Like there wasn't, they didn't ask me. They did not ask me, and they did. But you're making your own future though, so that's uh, that's an important thing. Yeah, and like the first game, like I prepared so much. I remember like the warm up for the game. USA were warming up, and I literally started like narrating their warm ups. It's like Chris Gotcher or whatever. Just started like doing it. Like they're like warm up drills. They're like looking at me in the sidelines. Like who the who's this fucking guy? Like just narrating our warm-up job I, I was, that's what i was doing to like get me in the zone of like anytime someone touched a disc i was like saying the name who they were you're trying to just get used to it right yeah well like you want to be able to say someone's name their number off the cuff which like professional commentators do because they have like a week to prepare but for us ultimate commentators you want to like you're pretty much learning on the fly so i just wanted to have everyone's name down and then i could like, express myself but I had a few little things planned and like ideas for what I could do. And like, I look back at it now, I watch some of that footage and I cringe a lot because it's quite like. Yeah, that's like me. <laughs> I, I cringe quite a bit because I'm like, oh, buttery biscuit. And like, it's a bit, it's a bit too much. And you see, like, some people love it and some people hate it. I can definitely see why people hate it. But like, more, more than anything, I made a name for myself. Like, people are like, who is this guy? Which was was kind of the objective at the time. I was like, if someone watches one of my streams in the in the early days, it's not really the case now. The early days is like, I want people to know who I am. I want people to like want me to do it again. I, like the first one, I probably <laughs> I probably did a better job in my first stream than a lot of uh, following ones because I actually prepared. Yeah, and uh, you commentated then the infamous. Uh, I'm sure I've heard your commentary on this. I'm pretty sure that's where I heard buttery biscuit for the first time. But uh, the pretty, uh, I I enjoyed this game as a Canadian, the Canadian USA game. I know um, we won't talk too much about the game, but there were some contentious calls, as you probably remember, and contentious events that happened. So, uh, what was it like commentating that and knowing that there was obviously high stakes being the final, but also there was some uh, interesting uh, events that happened in the game, <laughs> to say the least. Is this the under 23s 2015? Yeah, under 23s USA Canada open final. We had like the three or four people commentating, which was way too much. Yeah, that's I, I would say that's too many. 
Yeah, we had like me, David Price, and like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say everyone because like it's just it wasn't like there was anyone bad, but it was just everyone wanted to do it, and it was just too many people. It went pretty well. Whatever it happens in WFDF events between USA and Canada, spirit just tends not to work that well, which is what I've learned. Well, they're used to a North American style, which is something we can maybe talk about as well, because I know in Europe and I've had Europeans on and they've talked about spirit of the game and that's something that's highly valued. Not that it's not valued in North America, but I think the physicality of ultimate is very different when you look at places around the world. Would you say that's true? I think that's true. And what tends to happen, let's say like USA is playing Belgium or Japan, they kind of recognize that the their opposition isn't used to this type of ultimate. And if you get in a discussion about a call, maybe the European or the rest of the world player kind of directs it a little bit and kind of leans towards WFDF rules. While when it's WFDF rules and USA Canada players probably play to each other in club. And then they're trying to like apply WFDF rules and it's just like the two of them almost agree to be more physical, but then they're trying to play these rules and then there's like game advisors advising them and it just tends to not work that well. It's a little bit like friction and rules. And actually, I think all the players are really nice. Like looking at about 2015 team, I think I have both teams, super nice people. I just think that's a weird dichotomy of like both those players used to playing a certain rule set and now been forcing this other rule set that they're not used to and nobody's used to it on the field well the game advisors too because i'm i heard uh because i did a live stream for this on my twitch uh many months ago now but and having the two canadian coaches on but that was the first time they had game advisors i'm as i'm made aware of i'm not sure if that's i would have to confirm that but they said that was the first time that game advisors were initiated at, at a WIFDIF event so that's obviously going to be a big change for those players as well right so for you as a commentator now, you've commentated that and obviously some more events. So what have you learned in your time at commentating? Because you said, uh, you know, you cringed with your first recording. So what have you learned since then? Yeah, yeah cr- like cringe is just trying too hard. That was that was probably why I cringed. But um, Evan Lepler has taught me the most things. It's usually taken me a year or two to digest information when he tells me it. I think the basic rules of commentary which most people fail at like a lot of time i watch ultimate of like some weird nationals and stuff like that and like what really irritates me is people interrupting each other that's like rule number one whatever it is do not interrupt each other figure out some system like evan kind of prefers which a lot of maybe north american ultimate prefers is as a play-by-play and they're narrating the game they're just going through it and they leave gaps, particularly like after a point is scored and stuff for the color calm to come in and like add some analysis. Definitely nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's good because it usually lends itself to people not interrupting each other because there's nothing more painful than like two voices intercepting and like clashing and it's just not good audio. So like that, like as I've progressed, I've really tried to avoid that at, at all costs. And I think Evan has, has, has really taught me that. Other things is just being really prepared. Just being really prepared. If you learn like the numbers and team names and stuff like that, or like the player names, it allows you to relax and not be like looking at a sheet. Because I'm sure you've experienced this as an ultimate commentator. You're quite often doing like five, six games in a row. So you can't like prepare the day before because you've like five games. You can't like you and you don't mind and even know what the games are. It's like knockout rounds. You get like handed a sheet like 20 minutes before. It's like, oh, it's these two teams. It's like, Usually teams do warm-up drills and I narrate them to myself or out loud. 
of like every player touching it. I I find that's a really good way for me to get ready for for the stream. Yeah, that's a that's a true point there, and I think you're able to obviously research and do those things, and that makes it a lot easier. I started doing some commentary for one-off games in uh, in Ontario. There's a university, um, big uh, university athletics program, and so I commentated basketball and volleyball actually, and. So having those uh, be one-off games is a lot easier because I know the two teams that are going into it. I can research stats and things like that. So um, it's always nice when you commentate. I'm sure, Liam, as you probably know, when you commentate a whole team of players you know, you don't have to look at the numbers. You're just like able to even give some more off-the-cuff stories, which is fun as well. And so is that something you uh, plan to continue to do there, Liam, is to continue commentating more so than playing? Is that sort? Would you say that's accurate or no? I think so. I think I have maybe one or two more European or World Championships than me. I'd like to do maybe one more. I thought, I don't want to spoil anything, but I thought I was going to play in WCC in London, but I don't know if that's going to be the case. I'm also on the WFDF board, which you probably don't know. but The whole audience knows now. So, <laughs> But I, I thought I was going to play in London next year, but I'm not sure if that's going to be the case for, for a lot of reasons. But uh, Liam, since you're on the board there, I'm going to formally put in my application to commentate so I can send over some highlights, you know, Liam, and uh, and maybe one day I'll commentate with you, the legend. So that's uh, that's part of why I got you on the pod. So <laughs> I think we're the only two people who have ultimate commentary highlight reels on YouTube. Yeah, man, I do my research. You know what I mean? I'm gonna, if, you're, if I'm having a chat with someone, I type their name into Google, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> and YouTube, and I found your reel. And I was like, all right. Liam, I'm going to give you a chance now to give advice. Since you listen to the podcast, you know this question's probably coming. So you're going to give advice to anyone listening to the audience that wants to be a commentator themselves, okay? They're going to learn from Liam Grant, the buttery biscuit man himself. <laughs> so Liam, what's some advice you would have for someone who loves Ultimate and then eventually wants to hang up the cleats and get into the booth? Okay, it, it's a difficult thing to do. First thing is, which I tried to do and I hated doing it, was commentate a game on YouTube. Like, turn the audio off, record yourself, and do it on YouTube. And it feels, like, really weird, like, doing it in a game that's already happened, and you're, like, don't really believe in yourself. But if you do that full on and do and listen back, and it's good, you will definitely excel in life. And like I, I did it. I did it a few times before. I did my first ever live stream, and it was embarrassing listening back to myself. I didn't really like buy into it, but it helped me so much. It helped me so much because you realize you can never stop concentrating. If you're doing play by play commentary, you can't like zone out. You know what I mean? That's that's <laughs> people think you can like if you've watched an ultimate game before, it's completely different to watching it and commentating it because you can never zone out. Usually you're like 90, 120 minutes of just full on narrating, concentrating. Because even the points that aren't happening, like in terms of the time off, you're still talking or you're having a conversation with the other person, right? So, Yeah, and they're, they're usually the hardest parts. You're trying to fill it with interesting content. That's my first tip. Second tip, which is probably not a tip people don't like. Like, there's people who decide to commentate, right? In WFDF, in, in Europe, in EUF, I'm sure in Canadian Ultimate, whatever. There's someone who picks the person. It's a tournament director or whatever. You got to find out who they are and schmooze them hard. <laughs> schmooze them. That's how I got into it. Like, I'm, as I said, my friend Lorca, who's better commentary than me, worse at schmoozing. I schmoozed. I, I kept asking people, like, who's the person? 
who's the person that makes this decision? And I'm going to like rub up to them and do whatever I can to convince them that I'm the person to do this job. So like, it's not a fair, that's probably not a fair thing to do, like with skill or talent. But you got to back it up with the skill and talent. Like you, you can schmooze in a certain way or know people, but eventually you're going to have to prove it. You can't just, uh, if you don't do a good job, they're not going to take you back though. So I'm giving you credit there, Liam. I'll name drop one person, which is Tim Rockwood, who is the like communications and like broadcast director for WFDF. And the reason is I schmoozed him and convinced him to get me on the stream. But then I also did a good job when I was there. So like, you do have to back it up, which is the point. Like, but like, there's people who, I think it's actually a very Irish thing of like, you're kind of afraid to throw yourself forward or you feel like you're being too forward or like ignorant almost like being like, Hey, look at me, like uh, get me on the stream. But that's, that's what commentary is. Any kind of broadcasting you are like, look at me, you're like, pay attention to me. I want to be on the screen. Like that's how the, the game works. Like if you're not, if you're afraid to throw yourself out there, it's not for you. So that, that's some tips. I, I guess for me, like, which I look back on and cringe was I wanted to stand out. That's what, if I give this advice in 2015, I was like, stand out. Make sure people know who you are. After they watch the stream, like, they're like, wow, that commentary was great. Which, like, when I look back at it now, it's like, you're not really supposed to be the, the highlight of the show. Like, it's the, the ultimate. highlight like, is the players. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to compliment them. But, like, if I didn't do that, it wouldn't be where I was now. So, like, that's... As, as much as I cringe, look back and it was like, it's kind of, I look back and it's like, I was really pushing myself and trying to make myself the highlight as opposed to the, what was happening on the field. It served me well. So take that what you will. I had catchphrases, I had weird, wacky things to say. Whether that's good or bad, a lot of people didn't like it. People liked it, but it definitely helped my career. Yeah, and the word that I think of when you say that, Liam, is polarizing. It's going to be either people love it or people hate it. So, I mean, any space that you enter to, um, as you know, running a podcast or Liam, some people are going to like it and some people are going to hate it. But when you put yourself out there, you have to be open to uh, public criticism, which happens, right? So uh, that's part of putting yourself out there. And I'm sure as I've had Evan Lepler on, he's, he has different advice. So no commentators cut from the same cloth and they're going to have different advice and the ways they got there. Obviously Evan has had professional experience with it and he, you know, does stuff for the ACC network, which is like a, for college athletics in the United States. And he's done a lot of stuff, minor league baseball. So it's just going to be a different path, which is cool. L listen to Evan. Listen to Evan. <laughs> this is my biggest tip. He knows what he's talking about in broadcasting. And the more you get into it, the more you realize how right he is about stuff. And you can totally add your own personality to the rules Evan sets you out nailing your intros Evan's a great man a tip he gave me was like if I do ultimate games he's like write out your intro write out 60 seconds of words whatever like 10 sentences intro to game and you feel so confident if you nail an intro which is a, this is another good tip which is like any game how big or small it is have two teams and really set the scene have it written out in front of you and like i don't write things very much but like having that first 60 seconds fills you with confidence because the very start of stream is the scariest once you get into it you're just naturally going you don't even you don't even realize the stream is happening or like you're being recorded but if you nail the first 50 seconds it fills your confidence so evan always taught me it's like nail your intro nail your intro have a really good intro think about it throughout the day when you're having breakfast you're thinking about it 
have some one or two good things to say about why this game's important or interesting and that I'm stealing I'm stealing Evan's tips here, really. <laughs> no, but it's made you the commentator that you are now. So Liam, we're gonna move into daily life in terms of uh I wanna talk about a couple things. One is your tournament directing experience. So along with commentating, it sounds like you're kind of hanging out the cleats a little in some ways because you've also done some tournament directing. So what got you into that? And uh, what was your daily life looking like? Obviously, pre-pandemic balancing tournament directing. Were you doing more than one tournament a year? Or what was that like uh, on your schedule? I've always been interested in tournament directing. I guess, I again, a big surfer. I actually organized surf competition stuff from an early age. But the third tournament I ever went to, I organized. So first tournament I went to was like Irish University Nationals. And there was something Cork Open. And I'd only ever been to one before I decided. I was like, I'm going to do a Frisbee tournament. I didn't know anything about it. I was like, decided amongst myself, I was going to organize one in, in Galway in Ireland. I didn't know anything about schedules or like, what's the system? Which is probably a good thing. It's nice to come out of like fresh eyes. But uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to like get people together in a tournament. I love that like big party atmosphere. So like the party, we had like cool bands playing a great venue, like free food, free pizza, drinks. I like read on a whole lot on that side of it, off the field. You went above and beyond the, the tournament directing side of uh, in terms of putting all the bells and whistles. I've been to several North American tournaments. Like in my first tournament, like we had a sick party, like several venues, bands, like all the stuff, like sponsors of like pizza and all this stuff but like then the the tournament itself like the schedule and like stuff like that didn't really make any sense it was like why are we playing like the seventh place and we're like first place was like it's like a league i'd never like even looked at a tournament schedule ever ever the first university I went to i didn't know the people just told me where to be or what field you didn't know the you know the pre-quarters power pools all that kind of stuff like i played other sports but never seen a schedule so i invented my own schedule which was interesting. So the schedule is quite mildly. I think I did like both. I did like a Division 1, Division 2 kind of thing. And it was like league format. And that was it. There's no final. So kind of like European soccer, like in terms of uh, re- relegation and stuff. I pulled it off mostly that knowledge. And like people were like, what is this? And I was like, I don't know. It's a league. Play games. Don't ask questions. And like people didn't because they had a great time at the party. Like, okay. It wasn't like a really serious tournament. So that was the third tournament I ever went to. I was the tournament director, like solely organizing everything. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't even really know the dimensions of fields and stuff like that. But then I got involved with the Siege of Limerick, which was... And how big is that tournament, by the way, for someone who's never been and for the North American audience listening or other countries that have never been, how big is that tournament? What's What's the reach like for that? Is it mostly Irish teams or you got teams from all over Europe? Usually 32 teams. You try to bring it up to 40, 48 at times. It takes place in Limerick in Ireland in the biggest all-weather facility in Europe. So it's we actually have it in March, which usually, like Ireland in March, like it's rain city. It's not good weather, but this all-weather facility, it's all like 3G artificial turf. So really nice, like fake grass. And we have it then. It's mostly Irish teams and UK teams. And we usually get like maybe four or five teams from Europe as well. As like it's kind of the big kickoff of the European calendar, so like it's pretty early. Like, is it uh, is it like a party tournament or is it like a competitive? Like, teams are trying to jumpstart their season. I guess like there's two big parties with it, definitely. So it is a party tournament, but let's say like a lot of national teams, like under twenty fours and stuff like that, would come because it's 
It's a good like training weekend for them or like early competitive tournaments. It's Chevron and Clapham and like other teams have come and it's like as almost like a selection or like we've picked a roster. Of- do they do like a split squad kind of thing? Because that's a pretty popular thing in North America. Yeah, they've done split squads. They have done that actually. And they're like, this is like an early competitive tournament. Is you're going to have a competitive games, but there's also a big party. Like the kind of lower end of the bracket is like Irish club and college teams. And they'll all go to the party. Like they'll also try and win, but like they're also being competitive. It's, it's a good tournament because the University of Limerick, like it's probably one of the best sports campuses in the world. Now it's overwhelmingly the biggest like all weather facility in Europe. Cool. So you're not worried about being rained out or anything like that. They also have lots of grass fields. Monster Rugby trained there and other stuff like that. Cool. So along with your tournament directing, was that something that um, you were doing along with your day job kind of thing? Like, obviously, it's not your full-time job, but how much time did it take up of your day? Was that something that was really busy for like a few months prior to the tournament? Like, how stressful was it? I think to date, I've never made money off Ultimate Frisbee tournaments. I'm definitely on a net loss. You're in debt is what you're saying. I'm definitely in debt from running Ultimate Frisbee tournaments, but when I was 18, 19 years old, I set up a surf school and I ran that for like five years and I was running in tandem with like college and, and playing Ultimate. I was involved in a startup and stuff like that. So like, you know, I've never made money off Ultimate. I've kind of made money off commentary. Not a whole lot. Most events make little zero. Like, fly to Japan, I did that for, like, pro bono. I did a lot of other events for zero money. And then every now and again, WFDF pays me a decent amount for an event in Europe. And I make money, but that's it. Like, for for example, people probably want to know. Like, let's say for EUF tournaments, like European Ultimate Championships, I get, like, 50 euro a day. That's what I get. And uh, what what is that translated into uh, USD I don't know if you can trans- transfer that into Canadian dollars, but for those who don't know how much a euro is worth, <laughs> uh, what's that trans- 50 euros is uh, how much in a USD there? I'd say that's probably like 75 US dollars is my guess. And what's that? It's probably like 100 Canadian dollars, probably something similar. That sounds about right. And, and does that cover your meals as well? Are you getting free meals in there? or I'm getting, I'm usually getting like expenses paid. You mentioned something really cool as well that I want to ask about, uh, which you're part of the, you call it, uh, what is it, WFDF? I think maybe North Americans call it WIFDF. I, I don't know, maybe that's... WIFDF is fine. They actually, they encourage WIFDF. It's funny, in us in Australia and Germany, they call it WUFDF. I've actually brought this up in a meeting. It's like, we need to decide what we're called. It's like, you know, like NASA. Like, is it WIFDF? Is it WFDF? Is it WUFDF? WUFDF or something? So they encouraged me to say WFDF originally, but they've actually said WIFDF is the official rules of the, the thing. Your experience on the board, are you able to share uh, what you do there and, and sort of uh, some cool plans on the horizon as well? Once again, if you're able to share, uh, obviously there uh, is certain things you probably can't. So... Uh, what do you? How did you get on the board? Uh, why did you do it? And what do you do? Yeah, I, I just want to learn more about WIFDIF at the time. And I saw there was this like call out for the Athletes Commission. And there's this thing called the Athletes Commission, which every Olympic sport has to have. Whether it's like, I don't know, show jumping or soccer or discus, they have to have an Athletes Commission. So WFDF has an Athletes Commission. 
And to be a part of it, you have to have played the World Championships within like four years. I think that's the criteria. We're gonna we're gonna release it on the website to to make it more obvious. But I'm pretty passionate about this sport. Like, how does it work? What's going on? So I was like, I want to join the Athens Commission. So I put my name forward. There's actually a democratic vote at World Championships. If you had a WCC in 2018, and there was like four or five people you had the opportunity to vote for, which I was one of them. And I got democratically voted in at at that event. So every WGC, WCC, they have an election for three people. There's six people elected on the Athletes Commission, but that doesn't get into the board. So then one of these people of the Athletes Commission goes on the board of WFDF. There's so much like you don't want to know the like levels of diplomacy and um, there's a lot of hoops to jump through, is what you're telling me. There's so much bureaucracy in the sport, which I imagine is every sport. If you really want to dive into it, there's so much bureaucracy. But uh, yeah, I got like elected chair of the Athletes Commission after someone else stood down, Ali Tignall stood down. So I got chair of the Athletes Commission. So that means you get on the board. Other than was like, right, I'm on the board. I can do loads of stuff, right? That's what I was thinking. I was like, I can have a major influence on how this sport is run. But like, I was like, it's all this sport, which is important to realize as well. But there's actually 18 people on the board, right? That's that's what makes up the board. So all disciplines like freestyle, everything has a seat on the board. Executive committee, there's like elected board members at large. I guess a lot of people. We have a call on Saturday. It's going to be supposedly 18 people on it, but... It's a lot. And you're trying to get stuff done. It's really fucking hard is the answer. And I'm having more and more of an influence. And I think a big thing for me was more current players need to be involved in decision making. So I've, I've, I've changed Ali's commission that like people are deciding on like where events go, who runs them. There should be more current players deciding because... It impacts them, right? Everyone involved with WFDF has the right intentions. But like some people are like, dare I say, I'm going to say this right now, too old or a little bit out of touch. But like some of them haven't played the sport in like 10 years, which is fine, which is they can give they have so much experience they can add to it. But it's like we need to make sure that someone who's playing the sport right now is involved in decision making because the top athletes actually have really good opinions and decision makings where it's like, you know, I say him as Kelly or I don't know, whoever, bigger top Canadian, the Mock Twins, whoever, top Canadian players, they should have a say in how their world championships are run or, or, or how that's being organized because they'll actually have really good ideas and opinions because they're playing in it and they realize the faults and the flaws of that. So I'm trying to like add them. There's the, there's the ultimate committee, which is part of WF, who really decide where events go and stuff like that. So now we have, we have like an, an athlete on that we have other stuff so I'm, I'm doing things in the background i promise i swear but it's, it's not that exciting all right well hopefully now we're gonna segue here liam to a more exciting part your memorable games so i'm gonna give you a chance to do both tell stories of your time as a player and as a commentator so do you want to start off with your least favorite or your favorite i think least favorite is so obvious so your least favorite as a player first, and then your least favorite as a commentator. If if uh yeah, you can share both of those. My least favorite is easy. Irish Championships. I play for a team Pelt. We're now three times Irish champions, but at this stage we were not. We were zero times Irish champions. We were very much like the young upcoming team, like average age of like twenty one, twenty two. 
and we were at like the finals of Irish National Championships. So it actually took place in Cork. We got to the semi-finals and then they cancelled the tournament because it got rained out. So we had to play the semi-finals against the Cork team in like Limerick. We won that. And then we were playing a team, Jabba, in the final in Dublin. Oh, is it Jabba the Huck? Jabba the Huck, yeah. So we beat them 15-7 in the group stages, right? Smoked them. Like, we were by far the better team. Because it got cancelled, we were playing like a Thursday night or something in Dublin. And two of our best players couldn't come. But we were like, whatever. We're going to win. Bring half the squad. We'll smash these guys. And then uh, we went there. We are playing like under lights like 8 o'clock on like some evening time in Dublin. I think we are like 7-2 up. And like totally... We were cocky. I don't use that word lightly. It's a bad word. We were confident we were going to win in a bad way. Ended up getting to like 8-8 eight, eight or 9-9. Nine, nine. It was like universe point. I played really well at the start and I started playing bad at the end. And universe points, I'm not playing. I was like, I should have been playing, but I was like, I, I've been playing bad. I need to walk off the field now. I was like, I don't want to be part of this. So I wasn't. And the universe point goes on. It's like horrendous turnovers for like two or three minutes. And then my friend, like Christy Tinkler gets injured. And he's like injured. It's like, who's coming on? It's like Liam Grant. Injury subbed on, universe point of nationals. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, this is tough. And I'm also being universe pointed on 20 yards short of a guy going deep. And like a free throw to the end zone. So I'm like being subbed on for like to be crucified. You know what I mean? I'm like... You're trying to make up some distance is what you're saying. They said you just start here. And I'm like 20 yards behind some guy to the end zone and a person who could like it was a flick hawk and someone who could throw it and I was like he's going to throw the end zone score it's been subbed on to get like scored on I was like oh no this is like the worst sub on ever game starts throws the hawk and just under throws it and I end up catching it getting the D I'm like well this has gone pretty well I thought it was going to go pretty badly and then I'm like we've got the disc universe point sweet and I go to swing to Lorcan, the guy in the, the guy in the podcast, who's like my teammate and friend. And I kind of float it up a bit, and I just screw it up, and it's intercepted. So get subbed on, like throw first instant pass. I'm like, oh, like, it was such an easy pass. And I was like, I can't believe I did that. And I'm like, oh, this is so weird. And so this is nighttime. We're playing under like flooded lights, and the game has gone on over time for the venue. So then I'm marking a guy in French, great player. Couldn't say a bad word about him. We were playing and they're like, we we're pretty much in my own's end zone. So we're playing like end zone defense and I'm marking this guy. And then like 30 seconds later, the lights go off in our end zone. Basically, the venue was like, hurry up. So they turned half the lights off. And I'm like, I'm like looking up. It's like, you can't like turn the lights off. Surely we're stopping play. And then this guy, Frenchie, just burned me up the line scored and everyone started celebrating and i was just like standing there i was like the lights are off and like nobody was really i can't see <laughs> i was like nobody's paying attention they all celebrate and we lose and everyone just walks off and i'm just like i just got subbed on to like lose us nationals that is by far in a million billion miles the worst moment of my ultimate career i remember that's a devastating story liam it's devastating just hearing it i feel i feel for you we wanted it so much, but in fairness, we would never have won three titles if we didn't lose that one. And like, we're current national champions and we are never giving it up. Like, we will fight to the death for everything because we have to work so hard to get it. So, like, in, in a way, I actually appreciate it, but uh, 
Yeah, it, it really hurt at the time. I remember driving home to, I live in Clare, but mostly live in Limerick. We're driving home and like, <laughs> my friend like Dave Smith just dangling his silver medal out the window of the motorway and just like throwing it at a car, which you should never do. <laughs> right? That's how it's like littering, one, potentially killing someone else in the car, but like how much he hated the silver medal was, was really resonated with me. He just like tossed out the window on the motorway, which do not do. I, again, condone the actions. And uh, what about your uh, least favorite game as a commentator, if you remember any? Or tournament? Maybe it was like a super windy tournament or something like that. Least favorite game as a commentator. You know, so, like, as commentary, if it's a great game, it's so easy. Like a tight, like tight, right? Like back and forth kind of thing. Yeah, well, you're so excited about it. And like, if you were commentating, I don't know, what's the best game as an ultimate? If you were, you were doing it, you would do a great job. As a lay person, if you were to commentate, the one that sticks to my mind is 2016 USA Japan. Anyone could do that game well. Anyone could do that game well. Anyone. If it's your first time commentating, you would have probably done a great job that game. What's really hard is do a bad game well. A game where it's like big blowout. Big blowout is the worst. Because you can't be like disinterested. You can't be like, this game's over. You'd be like, oh, will they come back? I know it's 12-2 to Japan over Mexico, but maybe the Mexicans can run. It's just like the worst ever. Remember at Tom's Tourney, there was a game where it was a good game until one very moment where I think it was France versus Nice Bristols, which was a France preparing for a tournament. Nice Bristols are GB champions at the time. And whatever happened, they just had a 40 minute long point, which was like the majority of the game. It just like they had like two timeouts in the point and it was just going on forever. And as a commentator, it's just too much to ask. To act, like to like say it's good, and especially in ultimate, like there's a big thing about like being positive. You can't criticize anyone. I, I get that certain sense. Like people aren't professional athletes. It's different in like you know NFL or Premier League or like. But even that, like the criticism when I watch the commentaries in the pro leagues in North America, like there is some criticism, but it's not like it's always sugar coated in many ways, which in some ways is good. But you kind of want your commentaries to be authentic, right? Yeah, like, for me as an Irish person, if you ever watched, again, I hate to reference this very male-specified league of the Premier League, but have you ever seen Roy Keane, who is a Irish soccer player, and, like, just roasts people? If someone has a bad game, he does not, like, definitely goes over and beyond to, like, grill them, you know what I mean? And I feel like Ultimate's the exact opposite. You can never say anything negative about anyone. It's like if someone's a bad throw, I can't even say they're a bad throw. If someone give out about it, it's like that's a bad throw. That's like that's nothing. Like everyone makes bad throws. It's like we can, can we not just say that was bad and like so like bad games so hard. But yeah, I remember that nice versus France game. It got to so point it was so bad it was kind of okay again. <laughs> Let me could joke about how bad it was. Now we get to bring the good news out there to the audience. Your favorite game first as a player. And then your favorite game as a commentator. The last Irish national championships, which I guess would have been 2019. And this is a progress from Pelt. When I first talked about a story of losing nationals, it was probably like 2013. I don't know. It was, it was a while ago anyway. But 2019, we were two-time Irish champions. I think defending champions. 
and we're going up against Team Ranla, which is like the Dublin elite team. And like we were outmatched across the board. We did not have the same. This, as far as I can see it, I was like, we do not have the same players across the board, talent wise, skill wise. But we probably won more national championships than they did. We're probably better winners than they were. And the biggest thing was Lorcan Murray had come back again. I kind of come back from the ashes. We played zone the entire game because we could not match them physically. We were me, me included. Everyone, we we could not do it. We started a game trying to play like match defense and we're, we're losing. And like the uh, first quarter game, we said we we're going to play zone from now on. We played zone. We started winning back. And like we essentially on universe point won a nationals that we shouldn't have won. We did not deserve to, but Lorcan Murray, like I didn't, I probably played pretty well, but I played like handler mark in the zone, which is what like retired tall people do and trying to like foot block someone which was like my role but I felt I was so happy about it that I could like be involved and do something but Lorcan I think scored two breaks so stoked for him he's a man I love so much and we won the Nationals that we just we just shouldn't have won we had two three years where he should have won and we didn't so you made one back though that's okay you made one back we made one back but it's it's totally a mentality thing I know people talk about in sports but like those early years, we didn't have the mentality, but we had the talent. And now we're like really struggling to have the talent, but we still have the mentality. We never doubt ourselves. Even though it was like all of us before the game is like, if we'd have bet money on it, we would have bet on the other team. That is 100% all of us would have. But like, it's like none of us would have changed our gameplay or, or like been scared in the circumstance, right? You know what I mean? Like we would have all confidently played our best. It's like, we're out there to play our best. Chances are we'll lose, but like we're going to play our best. And we've lost so many times already. And we've won so many times already. It's not, we're not phased by the game. That's probably what got us through. That, that was my greatest moment. It was the third Irish title, which seems like the least significant. But it was one that we shouldn't have won. And I got to win it with some like old friends that will probably never do it again. And it, it, it meant a lot to me. That's what the podcast is about, telling some cool stories. And then you probably have a lot of games to choose from with your commentating career. So your favorite game that you commentated as a, as a commentator there, Liam? Now, there is one because I know I've sent it to people. And I think I, I did a good job and it was an interesting game, which was probably more interesting to Europeans was pre-quarter at WCC 2018 which was Bad Skid versus Clapham Nico Mueller reference to that game so I did a fucking stellar job on commentary you should watch that back I think there's some weird interference with it but like I did a good job on commentary but for Europeans like Clapham at this stage was eight in a row European champions such a stacked squad like 1-24 their, their players are really really good and Bad Squid had like annually lost them by one or two points. And like had really good players, but could just never have the longevity. Yeah, that game, they just turned up. I think they were down the first half. Bad Skid, the, Ger- the German side, maybe like 8 6 or something like that. And basically, Nico Muller, who is a baller, really, like if you've never seen him play, is. I, I compare him like to the like, European Chris Kotcher. Like it took him a while actually to kind of reach where he is now. Like such a solid, great player, and like every other pass in that game, him and Holger Boyd Mueller, the other two real like two top European players, two like of the top five other players in Europe, they're the top two in the 
in the men's division. They played every point in the second half. Pretty much 10 players pretty much played every point. Is that common in Europe? Like, is that common for certain teams? No, it's not common at all. Like, not at all common at that level. Like, and actually, they took one point off when they took the lead. I think they, like, ended up, like, taking the lead. It's game to 15. I think, like, 14, 13, they, like, broke to take the lead. Took a point off to be like, we're going to rest for one point before universe. Basically, all their best players just started playing the second half. And ran themselves in the ground and beat Clapham. And, like, Clapham was always a team that was like, yeah, we dominate Europe. We don't really care. We want to, like, do big in the world championship stage. And for, like... Bad skid to knock him out of that level was a real like, kick in the throat to, to clap him. And it was really just five or six players carrying the team. And they like, they fell over the line. They literally couldn't walk after that. I think they lost every game when they got to like quarters or top eight. They just like completely burned themselves out. But it was worth it, right? To take out Clapham, so. Yeah, for them it was huge. Like Clapham probably underestimated the task at hand. If you're not a European, you might not see the significance as much. But, uh, like, they had lost probably, like, the last 15 times in a row to that team. But what was the biggest stage for Clapham, they actually took them down. So that was that was really cool. Yeah, for the North American audience, maybe the comparison I can draw is when Revolver was winning their titles and being dominant. And then the one year, obviously, it was a little different. Pony uh, used some good defense there and kind of blew out Revolver and stopped the Revolver's reign there. So maybe maybe a little bit similar. Obviously, the games are different in terms of how they turned out, but maybe that's a, a similar comparison there for the North American audience. And so, Liam, I know you've been uh, streaming on this uh, stream for a while, so I'm going to let you go with uh, the last few rapid-fire questions here. So first one being, what throw do you prefer, your flick or backhand? Notoriously, but not great at flicks, except for flick hooks. Like a short range flick, I can't do really. <laughs> so I will, I will go backhand. But it's really my lefty backhand is my best throw. So if I, if I can answer lefty backhand. Lefty backhand, I like it. What about a hammer or scuba? Scuba by a million miles. Scuba could be my longest throw. So I've often challenged people, Tad Whistle, other people for a scuba comp. I can throw like a. What do you use meters in Canada? Uh, like 40, 50. I control a 40, 50 meter scuba. I control a hammer like 15 meters. My hammer is so rubbish. It's terrible. What about, uh, would you rather drop a pull or drop a catch in the end zone? I, I heard you ask this question before and surely drop one in the end zone, right? Well, some people, I don't know, it depends. If you have a traumatic experience of dropping, you know, a winning catch in nationals, you might not choose that option. Yeah, well, I know statistically, I've looked at the statistics of where people gain possession on the field. And even if you drop one in the end zone, the opposition are still like pretty unlikely to go all the way up the field and score. Well, if you drop one in your end zone, like they're going to score. So like, I want to win. I don't give a rat's ass if I make a mistake in the game, if I win the game. So that's that's my view on that. Yeah, all is forgiven there. Uh, what about, let's say, Worlds here? Your team wins either five straight silver medals or just one gold medal, but they never appear in the final before or after that. One gold medal, 100%. My, my, all my friends are terrible humans and struggle with lots of alcohol and drugs, to be honest with you. This is, this is reality. 
them doing things five years old is never going to happen in a million years. But us like getting together and doing something, we can do a one off. We could do one off of like getting the band together and winning something. It's like that doesn't matter as long as we know we could do it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that is your choice. Uh, what about hot topics here? Should Ultimate be renamed to something else? Best take I heard on this was Keith Rayner, who is editor in chief at Ulti World. I don't like the name Ultimate. It suits our sport because it's so stupid and <laughs> irrelevant that the name should be also be stupid and irrelevant. But uh, Keith Rayner said we should buy the patent from whoever owns Frisbee. It's Whammo. Whammo, I believe. Whammo. I mean, remember he put this up as like we should buy the patent off them, however old it is, and like how much money they're going to charge us and rename the sport Frisbee. I was like, that is a great idea. He's also said disc sevens. Like, you know how there's rugby fours? That was a terrible take. Disc sevens. Disc sevens. I don't take. mind it. I mean, I like flat ball personally, but that's. Uh... <laughs> flat ball is good as well. I like flat ball. Yeah. I, but flat ball, once again, I don't know if you could bring that to the mainstream there, Liam, because flat ball is just kind of like a slang term, you know? It's not really. I think it's better, though. It, sound, it does sound cooler. If I just tell my friends who don't play frisbee, uh, flat ball, I feel like they'd digest it better. But I do like. I was like, sometimes I just say frisbee. Like, sometimes to the, like, uh, muggles, let's call them that. I have to say, I have to say frisbee. And I do it all the time. And it's like, how about we just say frisbee? Whatever, like, Whiftiff or someone can pay someone 20 grand and we just get the name. Sounds like a worthwhile investment to me. Then all the confusion, that's fair. Should Ultimate have referees at the highest levels, every level? Should they have referees or continue with the observers, game advisors? What do you think? I'm in favor of self-refereeing for the purpose of conflict resolution. And I think, me personally, it's it's really helped me deal with someone who has a different opinion to me, right? I think it's a great life skill. I think it's something you'll find in all sports or walks of life is talking to someone that's fully convinced something else happened or something else right. And, like, it's a really powerful tool to, like, discuss it. And I think in Europe, like, a lot of the best players have got pretty good at it now that it, like, can function as a way of refereeing the sport. America, not not at all. <laughs> Definitely uh, self-refereeing, I think, works in certain countries better than others right now. Based on what I've seen at World's Tournaments. Yeah, but I'd say, like, this year, the European, well, 2019, the European Championships... Particularly in the in the open division was GB versus Germany, which was a really hotly contested match. Like it was people betting was fifty fifty. It came down to your point, but I commented the game throughout the whole game, like lights of Nico Muller and Justin Ford had so much respect for each other. And the way they discussed every call, they were really trying to just they were just trying to get to what happened. Asking people was in or out. Like there was no bullshit at all. And I've, I've seen that happen at teams that wanted more than anything. Like, as again, Nico Muller, Holger Boyd, Muller, they lost that game after being ahead. A loss on numerous point. Like, they would never have any hard feelings about how the, the referee and the match went on. And, uh, like, they were all so tuned in because they had respect for the opponents and they were you, trained in doing it. You know what I mean? They were used to doing it. And I think that it's so amazing to see. You see it done well when when people really care about it. Like that was their to say that Nico Muller and Holgerbringer didn't care. They cared about that more than anything in the world, winning that match, and they like 
not once they conceded calls, but were very much like if the ass of silent was in or out and they said they were out, they were just hands down. There was no debate about it. It was such a spirited game. So I've seen it happen when people get trained to it. So I'm very much towards self-refereeing for that aspect. I've seen games where it's disintegrated and like been terrible. That has happened. I'm not going to name those games, but it does happen. But ra- rarely when teams are used to it and are good at it and have played each other before. It it, it actually is it's the exception to the rule. So I'm I'm first self refereeing, but a little bit of a hot take on, on that question on oh, Quickfire is like, I prefer referees to observers. But something about like, I know it's the USAU observers, this like half referee thing annoys me. Either like full referee or none at all is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, well, it's like, it's, it's like, well, I like ADL is like this fair assessment to be like, we make a decision quickly. I see the, the benefit of that, right? The people discussing, like maybe people don't want to watch people talking. That's a that's a fair take. I watched loads of USAU Ultimate, and people like discuss for a while and ask someone, and then they can decide whether they want to ask someone. It's just like half refereeing. Like they have binding decisions; they can decide things without the like players' consent. Whether it's in and out calls or if they go to observer, they make a ruling and it stands. You can't like change it. So I dislike that it's you're still stopping the game but you're also not giving players full ability for conflict resolution or to decide amongst themselves it still takes away that we talked to olympic committee about why ultimate is a great sport it's self-refereed right i think observers you're taking that away as far as i'm concerned you're taking that away you still have the negatives of self-refereeing which is stopping the game for far too long Speaking of Olympic Committee, as you mentioned, one of the other questions I'd like to ask is, should Ultimate continue to pursue his place in the Olympics? I'm going to assume your answer based on your place on the WFDF board, but uh, I'll let you answer it anyways. My answer is yes for now. I've had a line of this is like, okay, 2028 is in LA. America is the big home of Ultimate. Like LA seems like a place we get into. We've been pushing this for a while there's been lots of different things that we have to be doing having events in the US and like buying into the world games and like pushing the broadcast and like trying to say like here we're a great sport and they've definitely been pushing mixed and separate ringer to big pros that you gotta realize that like people are running the Olympics in LA are people from LA right (laughs) like imagine someone from LA they're I hate to use this word but woke they're woke so right they love the idea of like gender equity. They love self-refereeing. These are things that people in LA buy for. And these are the people running the Olympics. And they're the people who are deciding. Which like, I say that in the most positive way ever. Like, I love those. I love those things. But it's also important to realize if it was in a different country, it might be different. So I think like 2028 LA is like a, a really good goal to aim for. Unfortunately, Liam, it has come to an end. That actually wraps up our episode for today. So Liam, you plugged your Instagram earlier, but I'll let you do it again. And uh, maybe some of the games that you've enjoyed commenting that I'll make sure to plug in the show description as well. So why don't you plug where people can find you on social media and things like that? Yeah, so I don't have much social media. I have Instagram, which is Liam Granty, L-I-A-M-G-R-A-N-T-Y, Liam Granty. And then for games, you had mentioned uh, Bad Skid versus Clapham as a game you commentated. Any other games that maybe you played in that people could check out as well. Oh, 
played in. Third place game at Windmill Open, which is Pelt versus their like Team Eric or whatever it was. It's like the All Star. Is, is that all available on YouTube? Oh, there's definitely a highlights of it. There's definitely like a three four minute highlight. I'll post that in the show description for you there. So Liam, thanks for coming in on the podcast all the way from Ireland. There, I do appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be on board. Fair play for doing the work. I know how hard it is to do a podcast, so uh, appreciate the content you're putting out. Fair play to you. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Jean Kyra Tuavilia, a Filipino ultimate player who has played for the Mulato Pilipinas, the Philippines national team, and on the Asia Oceanic Tour. In this interview, we talk about Filipino ultimate, her time on the Asia Oceanic Tour, and we talk about balancing ultimate with other life goals. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports. And you can check out some commenting highlights on YouTube at Juan and only sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.